Welcome back. You're watching Stockwatch with me, Julieta Televi, and joining me to take your questions this evening are Graham Kerner from Kerner Perspective and Grant Nader of Benguela Global Fund Managers. If you'd like to send questions, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag Stockwatch. Uh, Graham, Grant, good evening to you both. Grant, if I may start with you tonight, it was a fairly frisky day on the market. Um, overall, the index ended quite nicely ahead. The RAND was relatively strong. Um, I, I don't know if you have a sense that we've kind of gone through the worst. Um, everyone's a little bit happier and more settled about inflation. You've had the Fed meeting. Um, do you think we're um, on, a, on a kind of a new leg higher, p potentially? Or uh, um, is it likely to be a, f a fairly sort of slow month, um, the month of, of August, uh, given it's summer holidays in the Northern Hemisphere? Um, yeah, well, you're right, Juliet. It was a good day, but it was a good month as well. And I think it was a bit of sort of finishing out a good month on a, on a front foot, on a strong note. A lot of institutions will be quite relieved to see to see so much green around, um, and especially in the SA-facing stocks. I think, to be honest, it, it has felt different to me the last couple of months. It feels like there's genuine buying interest around on some of these companies. There's not a lot of deep pullbacks. Um, I think... I think we are seeing a paradigm shift, at least in the mindset of investors, if not in the actual underlying economy. I think there's a concerted effort to look through all the economic uh, noise and pain in the short term, load shedding and the like, and start looking past the rate hiking cycle, uh, even, dare I say, thinking about when we could maybe start seeing the beginnings of a rate cutting cycle. And mm. if you're going to think like that, you need to start looking at where you want to be investing and what you want to be owning. Mm. You can't wait for it to happen. Yeah. Graham, in that case, um, do you look at SA Inc. stocks? Do you think they, because it felt as if our market was morgue-like a few weeks ago, um, but as Grant says, there's maybe a little bit more optimism. Do you get that sense? And are you more yourself more optimistic about SA Inc. shares in particular? Um, yeah, well, look, the valuations are very compelling. So, you know, I think as a lot of sort of South African fund managers would tell you, um, I think as Grant says, you know, it's not like we've got a, got a golden telephone on our desk and, you know, when the perfect time reaches that it rings and they say bye and you just go all in. So I think you you do need to move uh, often before it's comfortable to do so. Um, and, and I think I've got a growing sense that there's just so much gloom baked into SA, um, you know, and it's... It's, it's quite difficult not to be gloomy when you have 11 hours of load shedding some days. But um, I do think that if you're overly bearish and if you sort of th think that rates are going to keep going up and inflation is going to remain stubborn and, and so on, you could actually get caught quite badly flat-footed. Um, because if you look at the big banks, for example, there's just so much value there that um, even if the earnings don't grow this year, chances are they'll grow next year. Because I mm. think... We're pretty close to the top in SA. I would actually not be surprised to see the Saab not move further. So I, my sense is, yeah, I think it's a good time to be buying SA Inc. Um, you know, if you look at the forward on our market, it's just over a 10, but that's courtesy of negative earnings growth out of a couple of the commodity plays. So, yeah, I think it's, it, it's you sort of feel there's a fighting chance of making decent returns if you're brave enough to buy SA Inc. stocks now. You know, the offshore guys, things like Richmond look a bit full. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I would argue SA, SA is lacquer at the moment. Well, I was sitting next to the CEO of uh, an international insurance company uh, yesterday and said they said that they are 
much more optimistic on South African prospects than they were three years ago. So that's, I mean, you know, take anything with a pinch of salt, but that's quite interesting. Um, there is a question on the resources stocks in particular, and the viewer says, is it a good time to start picking up some resources stocks? And if so, which would be your picks? Grant, um, do, you, do you concur? And do you have any favourites? So I think it's you never know when it's the right time to buy resources. Um, we certainly are not at the top of the cycle. That's the one positive. Um, and I think possibly there's still more pain to come economically, which is typically, you know, leading. These are very cyclical companies. But I think the, the, the best way to play it is to buy the general miners, the general resources that just give you a broad exposure without having to pin your hat on one commodity uh, and to average in over a period of time. I, I do suspect over the next three to six months, and I can't say when, it will prove to be a good opportunity to buy resources. Hmm. Uh, and in the absence of my crystal ball, I would <laughs> just be averaging in over that period of time. And I'd buy the big, the Anglos, the Billiton or the Glencore, which have a nice broad diverse set of commodities and, and resources. Yeah, there's nothing uh, worse than sort of um, spending a, a large amount of your shekels and then you see the market go down another 20 or 30%. Uh, Graham, would you do the same thing? Do you have do you have different picks? Uh, I mean, Glencore is interesting and maybe we can get onto that because uh, we can talk about the deal that they announced today. Um, any any other options there for you, for you in the uh, resources sector? Well, I, I suppose um, I, would, I would agree with Grant. I think, you know, if you want... I described it as as the, you know, the most predictable in an in an uncertain sector is BHP, and I mean they've just got a you know margins through the cycles that you know make it almost look like it's not a commodity play, which is something that quite appeals to me. But um, I think I think Anglo's um, it sort of feels as though it's a little bit in no man's land. We've seen what's happened um, at Amplat, so I think being a coward as usual, I would agree. I think BHP. Goes, I would probably wait for Anglo's. If you feel you have to buy commodities, I would firstly ask, well, you know, what is the what is the draw? Do you, you believe there's going to be this sort of massive pop-up in China, for example, which I think is necessary to to really kickstart it? Um, so I would wait a little while. Um, interestingly enough, you know, for our fund, we bought some Amplats a little while ago, and we should buy some more because, you know, it, it, it probably will be the last person standing in that sector. Mm. Um yeah, so I think the diversifies is, is the right way to play it because, you know, when, you know, maybe Met Coal and Iron will do well and, you know, um, and Copper and Diamonds don't do so well. You know, so I, I think that is the right way to go. If you're really optimistic, for example, on the Iron ore price, you can always go and buy Kumba Iron ore, But you, I think like Grant, I'd say, well, you get that exposure in, in, in a slightly soft Yeah. If, the, if you read it wrong, you, you've got a, you've got a, got a, a strong balance. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, even Anglos is doing interesting things if you look at the move into agricultural commodities. So, yeah, yeah. I would, I would, but I would, I think if you feel you have to, BHP you can buy now, I would wait a little while on Anglos. I think you're going to probably get it a bit cheaper over the next few months. Mm. Uh, that view uh, on, on Anglos, um, sort of the Woodside business, seems to be quite divergent in the market. Some people seem to hate it. Um, if there's time to talk about the Glencore deal, we will, but let me move on to other questions. A viewer on this theme says, uh, what's the story about gold? A few weeks ago, it hit $2,038 uh, uh, an ounce or so, then fell to 1960 ish now just over 2000 um, I mean, Grant, I wouldn't say that that's a massively dramatic move. Um, do you think gold's 
of course, it, it helped. The gold shares were, uh, you know, the star performers along with Richemont um, in the first few months of this year. Do you think that's now kind of tailing off and, and maybe attention is focused elsewhere? Look, uh, gold is a, an interesting one. As a fundamental analyst, it's often difficult to make a case to own gold. But as a portfolio manager, it's not that hard. There's a place, I believe, in a portfolio for some small amount of gold that it, it provides a kind of shock absorber to so those outlier or the black swan events. Um, and if I look around, you've got Russia, Ukraine, you've got China, US, you've got China, Taiwan. There's any number of geopolitical risks out there at the moment. And gold is definitely one of those assets you want in your portfolio in that kind of shock event. Um, and in the absence of that, uh, they aren't looking too bad given where the gold price is trading. Central banks have been bulking up on their stock of gold. Um, there's been more buying coming from them than, and, 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 you know, as you see the polarization of the global economy, um, I think gold has a place. Um, I think, you know, you don't over allocate there. Maybe not even, not more than 10% in a portfolio. Probably five is maybe the right number depending on, on your risk appetite. But you keep it there as a little outlier, um, okay. just in case. And, and don't see it the same as you do other assets. And can I just ask you quickly before I get Graham's view, do you keep it there in the actual gold, as in like a new gold ETF, or do you keep it there in a company where you get leverage, which can go either way, of course? Absolutely. I mean, it's a good question that if you keep it in the ETF, you're getting a lot less volatility and you also get less upside gearing. So that's probably the safer play because you can just go to sleep at night and the asset is there. You're not worried about what the company's operations are doing or transnets, lines or, you know, load shedding affecting production. So that's a more conservative, but probably a more stable approach over the longer term. But if you have a view and you, you think gold has got some legs in it, uh, the gold shares are going to give you the kicker. Yeah. So it depends on your risk appetite. Graham, um, would you, I mean, this all sounds very sensible, or would you kind of not go anywhere near gold at this point? Um, uh, or would you be, uh, like maybe the three of us are, somewhat cowardly about gold and buy the ETF rather than any gold shares? Well, I mean, if you take physical gold, you know, the, the note, it, it generates no yield. Um, I would argue the performance in gold from a South African investor's point of view over the last while has come purely from the currency. And arguably you could have got that by buying, you know, Richmond or a whole lot of other things. So my, uh, you know, I, I respect Grant's view, but I have a different view. Um, you know, I, I personally feel that through most cycles, gold will be pretty sterile. There will be times when it performs, but chances are you'll want to buy more rather than sell it, which is what you probably should do. Um, you want protection by yourselves deep out of the money puts, I suppose, is, is, is the, the counter argument. So um, I, I'm not drawn to gold. I've never been a, a gold bug. Um, and, you know, I mean, if you look at the, the dollar gold price, um, you know, when I was a young lad, we saw 800 or something. And then, you know, 25 years later, we saw 800 again. <laughs> so those are the things that weigh a little on, on my psyche. But... Um, yeah, so I wouldn't personally have gold, either the, the note or all the stocks in my portfolio 99% of the time, and this is one of those 99% of the times. Um, okay. Yeah, it's just it's too unpredictable, and the companies are dealing with grade issues and all sorts of other variables which make it almost impossible to play. So yeah. I'd rather apply my feeble mind to things that I can sort of understand. Grant, you know, in our discussion about ESA, a, a, a somewhat more forgiving attitude towards ESA Inc. shares, do you think, Zeta is attracting more interest. It's regarded as very cheap. Um, what are your thoughts? 
possible. I, I don't. I didn't pick up any news on it specifically, but there are a number of these sort of smaller mid-cap stocks that aren't super liquid. And if anyone of sort of moderate size institutionally starts to buy them, you could see you know quite a bit of movement. It's hard to to get into these stocks without without moving the share price. So, Zida. Uh, is is in that band i think it's a low, it's not a bad little company actually and if you think there's a bit of upswing in the economic outlook um you would definitely be able to tap into that through a company like zeta mm-hmm. that that plays into the consumer travel and spending uh psyche so i don't have a close story to it but it, i'm not that surprised given the rally we've seen in other sa stocks over the past six weeks yeah um, Graham, what are your thoughts on Zeta? I mean, and it's not, you've got um, a fair amount of options actually on the JSE if you wanted to, as Graham said, tap into the the, the vehicle rental markets, um, an aspect or side shoots of the tourism sector in South Africa. Yeah, so I think I would agree with everything that Graham said. It's, a, it's actually a pretty decent business. It looks really cheap. You just look at the city large commentary um, you know, December 22, their occupancy rates were above where they were in, in 2019, which was life before COVID. And, um, yeah, but I think the the story, as my view, and I think Grant touched on it, it, it's the curse of the small caps and crossing the double, you know. So the, the question is, well, why did somebody decide to sell it down from, you know, 10 rand 60 to 10 rand the other day? It's the same as, you know, why did somebody decide to, you know, pump it by 80 cents? But one of the problems with the small caps um, and later when we talk about my stock pick, we'll probably get to it as well. You know, when you've got these big gaps between buyers and sellers, and we're not even talking about size and institutions trying to get involved, it's just, you know, it's bid at, at 10 rand 20 and it's offered at 11. Somebody needs to sell to, you know, wind up a, 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 an estate and they hit the bid. And then equally, you know, somebody made a mistake and accidentally sold too many <laughs> on that transaction. They have to cross the double again, you know. So uh, that's the problem with small caps at the moment. There's a lot of... There's, a, there's been a real drainage of liquidity in small caps, small and mid caps, and you're seeing it in the daily vol. Um, but sometimes it takes a while for those sort of gyrations to actually reverse themselves. Can I just ask you, um, uh, sorry, and I'm getting off the topic a bit, but do you think volumes are going to recover as uh, interest rates um, and, uh, and all bond yields start coming down? Because one gets the sense that a lot of money has actually gone into longer dated government bonds or uh, in the case of retail investors into RSA retail bonds, because you're sort of assured of a return there where it's been quite patchy on the JSE. So maybe that money will start coming back into the market. Do either of you have a sense of that? I mean, is it too esoteric to, to tell right now? Grant? Uh, I'll just, I'll, I would just say that I think there are two things that probably will move volume the most. One is some sort of prolonged uh, bull market or positive movement in shares that will bring people off the sidelines, people that have been getting disinterested in the market. And especially the small and mid caps are always sort of late to the party. Once people have enough conviction to, to get into the market, then they start looking for the value that's been left behind and they start buying the small and mid caps and they catch a bit of momentum. And the other one is you need foreigners. If we start seeing improvement in SA yeah. and improving emerging market sentiment, the foreigners have been net sellers of our market for probably the last 10 years now. And if they turn uh, at the margin, you will see a significant increase in volume because there's not a lot of natural sellers around as the SA institutions still see value in the market. Mm. Graham, any, anything to add there? When I think the, the only thing I'd, I'd, I would add is that um, I think the increase in the foreign investment allowance is some time back. 
you know, um, mm. every institution said thank you very much. <laughs> they basically to max. And I think with the RAND, that, and obviously they've got a time to, to correct it, but the combination of the, the weaker RAND and maybe some of those offshore markets doing well relative to SA could see them actually overweight and have to return unless those foreign markets either fall or the RAND that goes the other way. So my my guess is, you know, to, to Grant's point that I think foreigners have been absent, but I think South African institutions have been quite keen to run maximum offshore allocation for some time. And that means there was very little appetite for, you know, anything that wasn't nice Paris or Richemont or Anglo's. Uh, yeah. So I, I think but the, the point is it will come back when 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 the markets take off. So, you know, nobody wants to buy it when it's really cheap. But as soon as it's up 20 percent, then we say, OK, well, we feel better. Yeah, but I think a little bit of good news economically yeah, as well would probably uh, spark a bit of a rally. Yeah, go a long way. Uh, then on EOH, uh, I, I know neither of you followed particularly closely, but um, the viewer says, what can still go wrong with the share? Looking for bottoms can be deadly at times. Uh, they came out with a trading update today. Uh, Grant, um, I mean, do you think the bottom is in for EOH? Um, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. It's it's not in my realm of... Uh, but what I remember is that they, they used to actually have reasonably good core business um, until everything around it fell apart, you know, the government business and the like. But I know some of their competitors are also struggling. And, um, uh, you know, there's a chance uh, they can salvage uh, the business and, and turn around the core of the business. But it's not one that I would, you know, put too much money into, you know, these highly speculative, um, mm. they've been in a recovery for five, six years now, if not longer. So, um, you know, at, one, at some point you have to, you have to accept that this company is structurally challenged yeah. um, and maybe be careful about how much money you want to invest in it. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe less structurally challenged given that they've sorted out their kind of capital structure, they've had their rights issue. Yeah. Um, Graham, I mean, they said that their revenue is growing. They had to take a couple of write-downs though, which maybe that is what spooked the market today. But maybe that's all, I don't know, is that all the bad news is in the business, in the share price? So, Juliet, I think what, what Grant was saying is probably right, that, um, you know, a lot of people have given up on it. And let's be honest, it was, uh, you know, it was um, it was real fraud there. And a lot of people, ourselves included, were hurt. Um, and I think it's a case of once bitten, twice shy. Of course, the, you know, rights issue at a deeply depressed price just increases the, the shares in issue. So even when yeah. the profitability returns, it's spread along, uh, spread around amongst a lot more shareholders uh, or shares. You know, I have a slightly different view, but please, I'm not suggesting that widows and orphans run out and put 10% of their portfolios <laughs> into this thing. I think, you know, I, I think Stephen Van Caller is a really smart guy. I think um, it, it probably was a bit more of a mess than he saw, but he's brought, um, and I know, you know, some of that team has is moving on, but he, he brought quite a few people, um, you know, along with him. I think when I when I listen to him, he's measured. I think they've got a pretty good idea about how to fix it. I think Grant's right that the environment is not uh, encouraging, but I think it's one of those where it you know if if you had a lot of risk appetite and you said, well, I mean, technology is critical to big banks, to institutions, and they've got a massive client base, and they still do useful work in spite of all the shenanigans and the and the scandals. So my view is that um, that for people who who write off the past and say it used to be a hundred rand and it's now a rand fifty, 
I think it's that kind of company that, you know, with good leadership that, you know, systematically rebuilds it. It could actually do quite quite well in a in a better operating environment. Yeah. Um, but it's not in a better operating environment. So what I'm saying is it's the kind of thing which could, you know, double or triple over the next few years simply by doing the basics right. Yeah. The question though is will Stephen and company stick around? And I think if they do, you've got a better than average chance because I think they're pretty astute people. Um, and I think it's a much cleaner business and you never know, they may actually be able to pull some money back from those those fraudsters that, that mm. ran it. So, yeah. Mm, yeah, I wouldn't hang my hat on that. Um, moving on, two bigger companies, uh, Armandi and Coronation are by at these levels. Grant, interesting to note, I think Coronation is actually slightly up on the year, maybe, even with its huge tax bill that it has to pay SARS yeah. um, and markets being uh, as tricky as they are. So my personal view, um, I think Coronation looks like it offers value, but without a bull market, uh, this company is going to struggle to grow AUM. I think stripping out the market, they haven't grown AUM since 2015, 2016. So I think the sort of offshore growth that everyone else has seen, I think they've lacked in their offering. Uh, and so their distribution has been, um, you know, it's fallen short there. So the AUM growth, I think, hasn't been what it could have been. So I think it's fine. You get a good dividend yield. You'll get a cheap uh, access, you know, market beta type effect. Uh, but it doesn't excite me. Mondi excites me a little bit more. Mm. I like the global exposure. I think if they can offload that Russian exposure, there'll be a nice kicker there. Cash cash will, uh, I think it's a, I'm trying to remember the number. It's a nice lumpy cash flow, 400 million euros odd. Don't quote me on that. Um, and they look reasonably priced and they are well set to benefit from uh, through the cycle recovery in the global economy and in Europe as well. Yeah. So I like that. Okay. Graham, I'm going to ask you two different shares entirely in order to uh, get a couple more view uh, viewers' questions in. Um, what's the panel's view on transaction capital and pick and pay? Sure. For me, it's a bit of a roll of the dice. Again, I think it's good management. Um, my sense is if you believe they're still going to be standing and doing good, you know, decent business a year from now, my sense is you, you know, there's quite a lot of optionality in that. In transaction um, capital, yeah. Yeah, but it's got to, it's got to, um, there's a lot of hard work to be done and um, it's not an a favorable environment. I think the taxi business is, is tough. Sorry, and the second one was? Uh, pick and pay. I mean, if, if you had to, uh, a betting, if you were a betting man, would you bet on the family doing something radical in the next year, um, i.e. exiting? Uh, because if, uh, there's a big view that the family is to blame for the current woes. They've taken lots of dividends out of the business. They've just been a dead hand on it. If that had to change, do you think maybe pick and pay might be a, something to bet on? No, I, I don't think so. I think pick and, one of pick and pay's problems is shop right, you know. So <laughs> while pick and pay was sort of meandering and not investing in DCs a decade ago, uh, arguably, um, you know, ShopRite was, was, you know, rolling checkers out and doing all sorts of interesting and clever things. Um, so I think the, I don't think you can lay the blame squarely at the, at, at, at the family's feet. They've had some very good leadership through the, through the cycles mm. and it just hasn't worked. So I think it was, you know, sometimes difficult to change the wheel on a bus while the bus is moving. And I think that's what they've had to yeah. do. So, you know, when I look at it, I think all the food retailers are actually quite expensive, but, you know, ShopRite is a is a brilliant, brilliant business. I prepared a slide earlier today that had a picture of a hayfield where there was a bit of cloud cover, and I said, you know, it's a business that's able to make make hay while the sun's not really shining, and that's yeah. I think the dilemma. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So I, I, would, I have to leave it there for you. Yeah, I don't know. 
Sorry, out of all four coronations, it means the, the pick. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I have to get your stock picks now. So that, um, okay. So let me get Grant's and then I'll get yours, Graham, if it's coronation. Grant, uh, what okay. would you be buying? Uh, so I, I would pick uh, ASML, which is a Dutch-based um, lithographic equipment maker. They make the systems that are integral to any semiconductor manufacturing process. So all the phones, laptops, uh, smart cars, AI, all the chips and, and the evolution of chips and the, the old chips that we're still using in the old cars, you name it, all of that machinery, all of that production is dependent on, on the little uh, lithographic. They basically allow the guys to print the pattern for the chips. Yeah. So it's an excellent way. They are by far and away the leader in the market. It's a great way to benefit from the ongoing growth in technology. Um, without having to chase the likes of NVIDIA at 200 times earnings and uh, and, and the like. So, yeah, okay. ASML fantastic B. niche, yeah. almost a monopoly there. Mm. And, Graham, you said coronation. Uh, very quickly, why? No, no, no. So, sorry, oh. I'm, I'm actually going with African Rainbow Capital. I was talking about about before that we were discussing. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm going to go with African Rainbow Capital. It's been, been coming off of late, which is strange, because good news, I think, coming out of Time Bank and, and generally out of, um, out of rain as well. But it's it's just a, a really I think it's an exciting private equity portfolio. I think they're busy assembling a really interesting financial services business. Um, you know, if you take an NAV, it's trading at about a forty percent, maybe even more discount to NAV, and you've got some really really good assets in there. So um, today earlier traded down to five ninety one, and that was what I was talking about. You know, if you just sit on the bid patiently for a few days, chances are you'll get them. You know, five eighty five ninety. Yeah. So that's what I, I, I'll i go with, is something deep value okay. and a nice blend of private and and, uh, and, and active assets. Yeah. Jens, thanks. I'm, uh, sorry, I uh, truncated your, your stock pick time this evening. Uh, Graham Kern is from Kerner Perspective. Grant Nader is from Benguela Global Fund Managers. And we'll be back with Stockwatch tomorrow night. Uh, do stay with us. <laughs>